Tim. Uh, today I'm excited and have the pleasure to have a conversation with a friend of mine, Anna Ovet Diaz. She's a fashion designer and style entrepreneur, CEO of Ovet Fashion Studio, and director of programming at the Chicago Fashion Incubator. And I believe that you have another business that you have, right? That is about tutoring. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Thanks so much for having me today, Tim. I'm happy to be here. I'm really happy that you're here with us today. I'm, I'm excited. So, you know, tell us a little bit about your business. Uh, tell How did you get started? What is going on with all that? Sounds good. Um, so I'm a fashion designer by trade. So in 2009, I got laid off from my job due to the recession, and I decided to start my own fashion line. And I knew all about fashion. I'd been working in fashion for years, but I was only 23 and thought, you know, I can't find a job. No one's hiring right now. I might as well try this out. So in 2009, I launched my own fashion brand called Anna Hovitt, and it was a young contemporary women's wear line. And it took off and I got into Lucky Magazine. I got into a few stores. I got into the Chicago Fashion Incubator. And during that time, as I was building my business, I needed income. I was bootstrapping the business. So I decided to start tutoring on the side, mostly ACT and SAT standardized test prep. And then that both of those businesses developed over the next 10 years. I did a full scale line and I was selling to boutiques all over the country and online internationally. And simultaneously, I was growing this tutoring business through word of mouth and, you know, clients referrals. And I started hiring additional tutors on my team. So these businesses kind of both happened organically and they supported each other in many ways. Oh, well, that is great. That is great. Um, so, you know, I know that at some point, though, you were selling clothing and things like that online. Is that correct? Correct. So my fashion business began as clothing. So mostly women's clothing, mostly young women's clothing. We started with everything, coats, dresses, jackets, sweatshirts, etc. And I soon realized that my most popular item by far was my sweatshirts. I would make these really interesting draped, long, strange silhouetted sweatshirts, and people loved them. So over the course of 10 years, I decided to really focus in on what I was good at. And this streamlined my manufacturing. And I, by the end of my line, I was doing athleisure. So sweatshirts, sweatpants made of bamboo, made in America, really comfy, cozy stuff, really interesting design details. And I got to a point where, you know, I, I grew out of my own clothing line. You know, I'd had it for 10 years. I loved it. I loved seeing strangers wear my clothes. That was like the best thing ever. Like going to the grocery store and seeing someone I didn't know in one of my sweatshirts, oh, I'd be so excited. Um, but yeah, it's really awesome. But it was the same brand, you know, I was making the same clothes over and over and over. And once you solidify your brand, you can't really defer from it. So my creative juices were really depleting. So I decided to end my clothing line and instead utilize my time to teach other fashion designers. So I transitioned my business from Hovit Apparel to Hovit Fashion Studio. 
And so I work out of the same space. I use all the same um, fashion machines, sewing machines, draping, cutting, patterning, all of those tools. But now I teach other people how to do it. So I have private classes with clients. We do group workshops that are really fun. And we also do full-scale development for people wanting to start a fashion line. So people might come to us and say, you know, I really want to do this line of lingerie. How do I do it? And we'll do it all for them. We'll help find the manufacturers. We'll help source the fabric. And we will create their fashion line for them. And that's been really amazing because I can work on all these different projects and see all these ideas. And I can utilize the 10 years experience that I have manufacturing apparel in Chicago to help them grow their businesses. So it's it's been a pivot because I've realized that millennials, they don't want material goods as much mm-hmm. as they want experiences. They wanna make things, they wanna learn things, they wanna be social, they wanna come to our classes and meet people like them, or they wanna start their own fashion line and have their friends wearing their clothes. So I really had to pivot my business with uh, millennial culture and desires. Yeah, that that is so true like, you know being, uh, when it's needed is so important but that has to be hard because I know when you had your fashion line I, you know I've been following you we've been friends for over 15 years and I've been following your growth right and I know mm-hmm. at some point you you had like celebrities that wore your clothing and things like that so like how did you like you know how did you make that decision to pivot knowing full well that you know you you're growing this business. It is successful, but you know that you're not fully happy with it, right? But you still made that conscious decision to pivot. Was that a hard decision? It was. And it was a surprising decision to a lot of people. And, you know, it came down to a few different things. It came down to lifestyle. I was ready to not work so much. You know, I was working 80 hours a week, you mm-hmm. know, trying to get everything done with the fashion line because you're designing a product. Well, technically, you're designing multiple products every season. So maybe you do a 20-piece collection. So you're designing 20 different things. Then you have seasons. So you're doing a fall and a spring, at least. Maybe a resort, maybe a holiday, maybe a summer. So you are doing all these different products multiple times a year in different sizes, in different colors. So at the end of the day, your items are hundreds, if not thousands per year, then you're not only designing these, you're sampling them, you're manufacturing them, you're selling them, you're marketing. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of work. And I genuinely enjoy it. But I got to a point in my life where I was like, you know what, I don't want to work so hard for so little money, because I'm manufacturing everything in the US. My profit margins are very slim. You know, we pay our sewers an adequate amount, unlike most places that are manufacturing overseas. So we are competing with places like H&M that are selling sweatshirts for $20. Yeah. You know, our fabric alone costs $20, not to mention our overhead costs and sewing and that thing. So I totally respect made in America clothing and I really try hard to fill my closet with made in America clothing. I might even have a couple of made in Canada pieces. I haven't really <laughs> thought about that before. <laughs> but, um, you know, I because I respect the craft and the fashion industry has changed significantly with globalization. And I keep jobs in the U.S. So I really push my clients to manufacture in the U.S. 
as well. I forgot where I was going with this, but uh, <laughs> anyway, long story short, it, it was a hard decision for okay. sure, but it was the, the best for my life. You know, I'm finding I'm finding that uh, right now we do have a big push even here in Canada for, you know, for supporting local companies. And I think that might be the wave of the future, you know, buy local, support local. Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, it's great to see that even in Chicago, you guys are, you are looking at doing that too, because the competition has to be hard because when you look at a lot of stuff, it's made in China stuff, right? Like a lot of clothing is mm-hmm. made in China because labor is way cheaper. Um, so, I mean, to have an entrepreneur that, that wants to keep labor in the local economy, I think that is very important. And I think if there's one thing that COVID has taught us is to support local companies because we're seeing that big push here in Canada. Mm-hmm. You know, Good. I want to ask you about some here. A while ago, you, uh, you did a TED Talk in Grand Forks, right? And you talked about mm-hmm. the next generation of entrepreneurs being us millennials. And, and I use that us usually loosely because I'm just right at the cups of it, right? Can you expand mm-hmm. more on what you meant by the next generation of entrepreneurs is the millennials? Yeah, so most millennials were born in the 80s. Therefore, they kind of graduated high school and college close to the time of the Great Recession. So 2008, 2009, a lot of us were graduating from college looking for entry-level jobs, and they weren't there. You know, this American dream of spending all this money on college and then getting a job was not an option for us. So millennials really had to kind of figure out their own paths and get side jobs, you know, whether it was gig working for Uber or Instacart, or maybe it was creating things and selling them on Etsy. Maybe it was a part-time job here and then another part-time job here just to like make ends meet. And it's given millennials like a different sense of career and work. I think previous generations have the idea that, you know, you get a job, you probably stay there for 30 years, you retire with benefits. Mm -hmm. Millennials don't have that luxury of being able to count on a job to keep them that long, especially after they've experienced, um, the Great Recession, and now with the COVID pandemic, you know, so many people I know are laid off. So this job instability has given millennials a different idea of the concept of career. And I think it's also a good thing. It's loosened them up to an idea. They don't have to go to a nine to five every Monday through Friday for 30 years of their life. They can do different things. They can play around. They can create their own companies. And I really like these micro businesses that have been popping up since them. And that would be a business with one owner and less than 10 employees or one owner and maybe some independent contractors. But, you know, you're making enough to make a living, but you're not a Fortune 500 company either. It's like a really good fit for a lot of us and to keep our own schedule and to be flexible. Like I said in my TED Talk, I think millennials really value workplace flexibility much more than pay. So, for example, if someone someone would work more hours for less money, if you give them flexibility, maybe they can't get childcare on Mondays, therefore give them Monday off, have them work Saturday from home, or, you know, just be a little flexible with this work-life balance, especially when we have so many women in the workforce. 
That makes a lot of sense. So then, like, you know, how do how do we, I guess, change our traditional mindset, right, um, to be more entrepreneurial? Because, you know, not everybody can be an entrepreneur, right? We can't all just, or not everybody can be self-employed, I should say, uh, because we not everybody has that uh, drive to take the risk, and not everybody is able to do that just based on where they are in life. Or maybe it's just the mindset because part of that mindset is get an education, like you said, get a job. Mm -hmm. So how do you change that mindset? Well, luckily we have the internet to teach us anything and everything we want to learn. So if you want to learn how to use QuickBooks or learn accounting or learn how to get a business license, you just got to be a good Googler. You just have to find those correct articles or those correct videos that's going to teach it to you for free. And my biggest advice is start small. Make something tiny. Like, uh, you know, um, if you want to sell these cookies that you make, just make a couple batches, give them to friends, test them out, then make a couple more, and then then go get a commercial kitchen space and start packaging them. You know, work out the kinks on a small level to try to figure it out rather than investing hundreds of thousand dollars in an idea that has not been proven yet. So I would say smart, start small and learn off the internet. Ah, that makes sense. You know, I'm finding though that the internet has also been a really good uh, resource for a lot of people. For example, I saw on the internet uh, one day, there was a lady uh, just around me here making cookies, the shape of a house. And I'm into real estate. So I contacted her on the internet and she made cookies for me to give to my clients, things like that. So people are able to brand more on the internet. Uh, Are you finding that, you know, the, the brandability of millennials is a lot higher than it used to be for the previous generation? Absolutely. I mean, millennials, they all have a brand. They're all online. I mean, if I... I'm going to hire an intern or someone. The first thing I do is Google their name. You know, what's going on with them? What's their aesthetic? Do they have an Instagram? Is it good? Is it not? What's their LinkedIn profile? And if they are off the grid and under the age of 35, then I don't trust them. (laughs) You know, I know it sounds crazy, but I'm like, what are they hiding? What are they doing? You know, (laughs) obvious. My best friend is off the grid, so I'm not trying to judge. And she just lives a private life. But I will say millennials really, really brand themselves. You know, they, they're they always thinking about themselves as a brand, even if they don't have their own company. They're still saying, okay, I know people are going to search for me. What does my online scrub look like? What is What are people going to find? What photos are they going to find? And then also utilizing free platforms like Instagram and like Facebook, they can promote for free. I mean, I started my business before Instagram, but Facebook was around and I could put all these posts out just to kind of see if people liked them, like a picture of a dress I made, a picture of a shirt that I'm working on. And people were able to comment and see my things and then purchase online. And that was all free. And that really opened up a huge voice to um, young entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs without a lot of money that could create a brand on a very, very low budget. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. You know, I find that, you know, a lot of things are going online right now. And and I mean it seems that that's where 
things are at. Even real estate is going online. People buying more cars online. People buying real estate online, clothing online. Now we can even buy groceries online, which, which I mean, <laughs> in the past we couldn't do before. So, so then I guess the one thing that you also talked about in your TED Talk is kind of like that communication gap. And I'm thinking that this online wave might be where that communication gap is because uh, millennials are more open and leave themselves out there for people to see brand themselves out there so like what would what advice would you give to some of the older business owners uh on on how to bridge that bridge that communication gap between the older generation and the millennials yeah that's a really hard thing and i think that was already happening before the pandemic because there is a communication gap in technology and user interface between Gen Z and millennial and older generations like Gen X and boomers. And so I think this pandemic has really, really amplified that. And if you're not innovative, if you're not selling online, you need to get on it right now or else you're gonna go out of business. And so I would greatly suggest hiring someone who is living that life of the customer that you're trying to target. So if you're trying to target millennials, you need to hire a millennial to get your promotion and marketing out in the channels that they're using, say Instagram. Um, if you're trying to target Gen Z, they're on Snapchat. Hire someone who's a Gen Zer, maybe a you know 16 year old as an intern who really understands that channel. I will say reversely, one form of communication that millennials are not good at is the telephone. We hate calling people. Like when people call me, I'm like, oh my God, what's wrong? Like I never listen to my voicemails. I never leave voicemails. I am a text person. <laughs> and I really feel like millennials should get over this fear of calling people because you can really understand someone and have empathy for or relate to someone much, much better on telephone than you can on a Facebook post or on text messages. So especially with customers and clients that are older, that are, you know, boomers or Gen Z, give them a call, talk to them and hearing your voice is going to make them trust you more, make you like, make them like you more. And so I definitely want to encourage millennials, including myself, to try to call people more rather than just texting and emailing. That makes sense. So it seems that there, like, there, there needs to be a little bit of a change on both sides in order to bridge this gap. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. But I think the consumer is going to become more and more internet savvy. And so we're going to have to continue to figure things out online. I mean, like you mentioned with real estate, looking at houses with a three, 360 view, you know, and finding innovative ways to show your clients your properties without having to call them or physically bring them in it's going to be important and it's going to continue yeah it, it, it seems that that's kind of the way that we're seeing uh that things are going um i, I just want to touch on one more thing in your tech talk you talk you talked about the five traits of why millennials are the perfect entrepreneur can you expand on that a little bit yeah, so I think the the five traits that millennials have that maybe other generations haven't had as much of are uh, they're marketable, just like we talked about, you know, being branding, you know, being 
um, the face of your business. When I was starting my business, like I could have just put pictures of models in my clothes online and, you know, people might have liked them. But what people really connected to was seeing me working, all the behind the scene photos of me dressing models, of me sewing in my studio, of me sketching ideas. That's what they wanted to see. And so that helped me grow my business into more of a lifestyle brand okay. because I was able to market myself. Uh, the next one is efficient. Millennials are really efficient. We have no patience and we like things to be done quickly and smartly. We are not okay with old rules that don't make sense. So we are happy with changing the rules to make them smarter and more efficient. If you're seeing a company that's run in a way that is wasting people's time and resources, millennials are going to be the first to say, hey, have you considered doing it this other way? And I think that does rub other people the wrong way, but at least listen, because it might be a really smart idea. We are not um, all about seniority. We are about who is doing the best job. Uh, Millennials are also hustlers. Like we have to figure things out. Like I said before, we um, came of age in a point where we didn't have a job. So we really had to figure things out and hustle and get those extra part-time jobs or, you know, sell our plasma or, you know, something in order to pay our rent. Um, the next one, we're flexible. We're really flexible on work hours. And I think this is especially important with parents and childcare and trying to figure out how do two working parents have childcare, make money, yet see their family and have that work-life balance. And so thinking about maybe doing a four day a week work week, maybe 10 hours for four days as opposed to five days or, you know, having staggering work times. Maybe some people come at 11 to seven if that's more convenient for them. Just being flexible with work hours. And then the last thing I see for millennials is that our parents told us we could be whatever we wanted to be when we grew up. Mm -hmm. We all like are trying to look for our passion. We're all trying to think of that one thing we're really passionate about and, you know, unfortunately, that's led a lot of people astray. But for other people, like they figure it out, like, I'm really good at Excel spreadsheets. So I'm going to get this job, or I love drawing, I'm going to get this job. Or like, you know, I really, really like insurance bills, I'm going to go, you know, these don't sound like typical passions. But I think everyone has some kind of you know, more grandiose passion, like fashion design or baseball. And then they also have their nerdy passions, too. They like to do very specific, random things. And it's about finding a job that's fulfilling to you and that you enjoy going to. And I know that's not true for everyone and different people have different views on this. But I love my job. I love tutoring standardized tests. I love making clothes. I love talking to clients. Like I genuinely love it. And I do it every day and I do it for money. And it's amazing. And it's because I've designed my life to fit the things that I'm good at and I enjoy. And then I find ways to, um, you know, contract out the things that I'm not so good at and that I do not enjoy. Uh, So it sounds like, you know, be do what you're passionate about and focus on the things that you're really good at and then let other people help you with the things that you're not. Don't try to be the master of everything. And that makes a lot of yeah. sense. You know, you talked about the passion of millennials. In that passion spill over into different parts of their lives, right? And we're seeing millennials boycotting companies that don't fit within uh, what they're passionate about, 
uh, especially, mm -hmm. you know, when it comes to things like equal rights, uh, you know, women's rights and things like that, right? Um, are you finding that these values are affecting the type of businesses that they are opening as well? You know, I think what you're describing, we would probably call cancel culture to a certain extent, but okay. it's also, it's got its positive and negative. So it, positively, millennials want to support businesses. They agree with their values. So I've seen a lot of companies come right out and say, these are our values. They're very open about it on their social media and they might even have a page on their website that okay we care about sustainability we care about equal rights we care about lgbt rights you know all of these different rights or things that they care about is blatantly on their website and so of course if i'm buying a shirt i want it to be from someone who shares the same values as me but reversely i've also seen this cancel culture come out as if one person who works at a company says something that we don't agree with, then we're never shopping at that company again. And let's ruin their company and put it out of business. I don't think that's right either. So I think that this is going to continue that we are going to shop and use our wallet around our values, you know, boycotting certain companies we don't agree with and really trying to support companies we do agree with. And so it'll be really interesting to see companies and how much of their political stances they put out into the world. You know, we have some companies like Ben and Jerry's who do a great job of telling us exactly where they stand. And then there's other companies that just are not commenting on the issue. They don't want to get into it. They're not interested. So, you know, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see what happens. But I think that this trend will continue. Yeah, it, it seems to be a trend that started a while ago, and we're seeing it stronger and stronger nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, as a business owner, sometimes, you know, you want to stay out of the limelight of what's going on uh, in the world type of thing. But we're also finding that some people are taking the silence to mean that you support some of the bad things that are going on, right? So then you're almost forced to talk, even when you don't want to talk. Absolutely. But, I mean, yeah, that's that's the world that we li live in right now. So I mean, you you definitely have to state your values and stand for what you believe in, and that and that's kind of what consumers are telling us that they want business owners to do. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, you know, I said earlier on that uh, not everyone can be an entrepreneur or self-employed. Uh, however, there are many that want to be. Um, so what advice would you have for somebody that is wanting to start a business? Um, I would say, like I said before, kind of stay, stay lean, start it slow, work out your product. And also think about like, what, what's important about your product? What does it solve? Why would people want it? And why is it better than your competitors? I think a lot of people, especially in fashion are like, oh, I make pretty clothes. Okay, that's cool. But like, are they more prettier than stuff that you could find elsewhere? Are they better quality? Are they more interesting? Are they less expensive? Are they more expensive? And really looking at your competitors and making sure that you're bringing a product to market that is valuable, that people actually want to buy, especially when you're starting out your cost of goods and your overhead costs are going to be more per skew than they would be for a large company. Therefore, you're either not making any money 
or your product is going to be fairly expensive compared to your competitors. So you really have to think about what is special about your product. There's a pretzel company called Dots Pretzels. I don't know if you guys have them, but they were started by this woman in North Dakota. So in rural North Dakota, this woman named Dorothy like brought some pretzels that she made and seasoned to like a local party or potluck or something. And people loved them. And so then she started selling them in little bags. And eventually her, uh, her business partner helped her find a manufacturer. And now they're sold all over the country. And this all happened within maybe two years. I remember seeing them in North Dakota when I was visiting once a couple of years ago and being like, oh my God, these are amazing. But you could only buy them in North Dakota at select Ace hardware stores. Like it was like the most specific thing ever. And now I go to my local grocery store and there's a huge display of them. So you just never know what's going to happen. And anyone can be an entrepreneur, you know, any age, any race, any, you know, income level. It's just, do you have that really, really good product that people are going to want to buy over and over? That, that makes sense. The other thing that I, that I also want to say is that it seems like not everybody has the courage mm. to do it as well, right? And, yeah. and I think that is important because you got you got to just do it sometimes you just got to go out and take the risk you got to have the courage you have to have the ambition to keep working and working and working right because when you start a business it's not your regular nine-to-five job some Mm -hmm. some days i'm i'm in bed at 11 o'clock at night and i'm thinking on how i can make things better for my businesses right Mm -hmm. so it just never shuts off yeah Uh, and discipline is a big thing because I find like when you're an entrepreneur or when you're self-employed, even if, you know, you can be home and do nothing that has <laughs> anything to do with your job, right? You can sit there, watch TV, play video games, play, you know, play outside, exercise and do nothing. And then, and then you wonder why the business is not growing, right? So mm-hmm. I think having that discipline is very, very, very important, in my opinion, anyways, to Absolutely. actually get work done. And I think that, um, I think also, like, just diving in is part of it, too. You know, a lot of people over plan their business plans. They try to work everything out for months or years, trying to figure out the perfect business plan. But you're not going to know until you test it. So diving right in, starting to sell, not having fear of being rejected by customers or clients or focus groups, you just got to start doing it and then you'll grow and then you'll figure these things out. And as to your point about finding time, you're right. It's hard to find time because the work is never done. You know, if you own a business, you can always be working, working on new financial strategies, working on new marketing, working on organizing your office, like it never ends. So you on a personal level need to decide what's right for you and how it works. And luckily I was young and single when I started my business and I was able to devote tons of time to it, you know, because it was my passion. It was what I loved. It was really all I had to do. So I was living my business every day, you know, constantly (laughs) posting, constantly attending events. I mean, my lifestyle was my business. And so I was really lucky in that aspect because I didn't have other priorities and responsibilities that I now do in my mid thirties that I probably would make all of that work seem not as fun or not something I wanted to do. And I think the other thing for me personally was that when I wake up in the morning, 
I want to work. I want to go to work. I want to do things. And then by the evening, I am drained. So instead of working a nine to five and then trying to start my business afterwards, I did the flip. I would wake up. I would go to my studio. I would make clothes. I would design clothes. I'd do all my business things. And then I had a part-time job in the evening. So then when I went to that job, it was like, oh, okay, well, now I got to go to work. No big deal. And I would just make myself go to work as opposed to the flip when you get off a nine to five and you're like, oh, now I got to work on my business, but I'm not going to get paid for it. And I'm kind of tired tonight and my friend's doing some stuff. So I'm not going to do it tonight. It's easier to cop out of your own business in the evening than it is in the morning. So that's another you know, way I designed my life to just fit what was best for how I how I work. That, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I do find myself that I am most sharpest in the mornings, mm-hmm. right? Like in the morning, I feel my brain sharp. I just had a good rest. So it's time to go to work at the thing. And yep. so I definitely see wh- what you mean. And it's where you're coming from when you are saying that it's better off sometimes to kind of reverse that, right? Like reverse that, that mental state of working during the day and then trying to do your do your self-employed business at night type of thing. If you reverse it, you can focus more in the morning. So that definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, so if there is one thing that you could say to people that are listening uh, about your journey, what would, say, what would you say has been maybe your most difficult challenge and your most important success in all your journeys? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, most difficult. I mean, on like a real level, being a young female entrepreneur with, you know, not a lot of business connections was always difficult. You know, I would go into the bank asking for a loan and I'd look like a teenager and I'd have no collateral. And it was really hard to get a line of credit. And I really had to prove myself, improve my business, and then look for alternate means of financing through nonprofits or grants Mm -hmm. that were more likely to um, look at what I was creating rather than, you know, my balance sheet at the moment. So I think, you know, finances were a huge thing, especially in the fashion industry. You're either small or you're huge. There's not a lot of in-between apparel companies. So to go from, you know, small designer selling in 20 stores, selling online to going to selling to a department store like Macy's, that is a gigantic jump that's going to need at least two, three million in investment. And like, how do you do that? How do you get from, you know, a hundred thousand dollar a year company to a multi-million dollar company? And there, there's not much in between in apparel. So I think for me personally, financing was hardest because I wasn't in those conversations. I don't have friends who are venture capitalists. You know, all my other entrepreneurial friends are micro businesses. And I, I just didn't know how to breach that level of education or networking that would take me to the next level. So I would say that was probably my biggest uh, hurdle. Um, but the best, oh man, my biggest success. Oh, I got to think about that. I had so many fun things. You know, I, I did work for all kinds of big companies like Kraft and Sony and, um, Chevy and lots of like really cool marketing things. I had tons of runway shows. 
with diverse models and a diverse crowd that always supported me, always came out. Um, I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. I think my biggest, what I thought my biggest moments with success is there's a, a publication here in Chicago called the Chicago Reader. And every year they select the top everything, the top chef, the top theater company, the top fashion designer, the top DJ. And in 2015, I believe I'll have to look it up. Um, I was voted the top fashion designer in Chicago. Oh, and wow. that was a huge, huge personal goal that I had. Um, and it was really affirming of all the work I'd been doing and all the hours, all the unpaid hours I'd been putting in building this company. And um, it was really incredible. That's, and, that's really amazing to hear. I mean, to be named a top fashion designer in a place like Chicago, that is huge. Uh, it what is would you huge. say the population of Chicago is? Oh my gosh, probably 6 million. And I'm coming <laughs> from Grand Forks, North Dakota, like wow. where there wasn't a single fashion designer and being a fashion designer was like a dream job. I didn't even know anyone in fashion. And I went to Chicago and, you know, and then all this happened. It was pretty remarkable. That's amazing. You know, that's definitely something that, uh, that you have to be proud of. That's, that's really, really good. You know, Thanks. I just want to say, I just want to say that just following your journey over the last, last few years has been, has been awesome. Cause I've seen that transition that you described here from, from selling your designs to now teaching people and empowering people to do their own designs and their own, their own businesses. And it's been incredible. It's been amazing. So I want to say thank you for that. And also thank you for carving out some time out of your day to join me on this podcast today. Really appreciate it. Oh, well, thanks, Tim. I really appreciate